I doubt very much anyone's going to remember COP26. You don't see it as one of those uh, history textbooks, turning points in, in world history. And it's uh, preceded by 26 previous COPs, which have done very, very little to stop the continuous increase in the carbon concentration in the atmosphere, about two parts per million, which has been going on relentlessly since back in 1990. And I doubt that the next 26 COPs will stand out phenomenally against the challenge that we all face from climate change, the problem that's out there and almost immediate, the problem of temperatures rising to 2.8 on current ambitions. But, you know, that really means three plus and by the end of this century. So whatever the studies and the annual cycle that comes around for the COP events and the speeches and the positioning by the world leaders, the reality is that we haven't made much progress in the last 30 years. And one more heave is hardly likely to make much difference going forward. We must do better than this. We can do better than this, but not going on in the traditional COP frame. George or yes, you know, 30,000 people flying out to Egypt, world leaders trotting out the usual points about the turning points of history and uh, all the rhetoric that we got used to from Glasgow. But tick, 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 those parts per million go on up and we're still, as a world, 80% dependent on fossil fuels for our energy. And at the same time, we're doing probably irrevocable damage to the capacity of our world and its natural capital to absorb carbon. The Amazon burns, of course, change in leadership in uh, Brazil might make a bit of difference, but the pathway towards the end of the great rainforests, those great carbon sinks, is all too apparent. And indeed, bits of the Amazon are now frighteningly net emitters of carbon. So COP26, COP27, it's not going to be much different. And it calls into question the whole process. And it also asks how we can, in fact, do better. Is there a pathway to dealing with climate change? Yes, of course there is. But uh, we need to think again. And we need to think again in two fundamental ways. We have to think bottom up as well as top-down, about coalitions of the unilateralists who are willing to take the stance to try to stop causing climate change. And we have to think about the big-ticket item, which all of these UN things are really about, which is the money, and about the transfers from the north to the south. If you roll back to the start of this process, and you should to see why it hasn't produced the results that it repeatedly promises. You start with the Brundtland Report back in the late 1980s. Uh, this was a report which was about the north-south divide and how sustainable development had to take into account that north-south divide. It meant that the developed world would provide money, resources, expertise, technical skills and abilities and technologies and so on and so forth. All the stuff necessary for development. 
and the developed world would help to pay for it. Not just financing and endless piles of debt, but real funding. And when you come to the climate change problem, you know, at its heart is a really simple idea. It is that it's about pollution and the solution to pollution is the polluter pays principle that those who cause pollution should pay for the damage that that pollution does. And taken across to climate change, the polluter pays principle is pretty straightforward. You need to identify what the causes of the pollution are and you need to put a price on that pollution. Now, the biggest ticket cause of that pollution is not actually current emissions, It's all the emissions that have been taking place since the Industrial Revolution and particularly in the second half of the 20th century and into the beginning of the 21st. It's all that coal, oil and now gas, that 80% of the world's energy, which has enabled the sustaining of 7 billion, 8 billion people and the transformation of world economies in the 20th century. And a lot of it is all up there, stuck in the atmosphere. And that concentration we now have of carbon in the atmosphere, pushing towards 420 parts per million, uh, as opposed to, you know, 275, 300 parts per million before the Industrial Revolution. All that concentration up there is that relentless burning of fossil fuels and now the destruction of the natural environment and its ability to sequestrate, which has been going on year in, year out. So the first aspect of polluter pays is who should pay for the damage that's being done by that carbon concentration that's been put up in the atmosphere over the last century. And it's no wonder that developing countries ask for compensation for that damage now and are put payment for damage as part of the agenda on the table at COP27. And if COP27 has any possible good outcomes, putting it on the table is an important thing to do. Finding an answer is quite distinct. There's no evidence whatsoever that the developed world is prepared to stand up and pay for the damage of climate change to the developing world. So that's one bit And our current financial flows look like being about $100 billion per annum, or at least that's what's been promised year in, year out for the last decade or so. Um, But that's chicken feed compared with the scale of the damage that's being wrought. You know, put it in perspective, even if we actually manage to provide $100 billion a year to the developed world, and that's to stop future emissions as well as address past emissions. You know, that amounts to quite a lot less than the annual dividend of Saudi Aramco. Saudi Aramco's flow is about 40 billion per quarter, per 12 weeks. And here we are uh, thinking about perhaps 100 billion per annum going forward. And it's chicken feed compared with what the developed world spent on the developed world's coronavirus pandemics, lockdowns, and so on and so forth. It's just not in the right ballpark to address the scale of the difficulties. North-South is about North-North-North, 
and forget South, South, South. And the Indian government, many of the governments of Africa, uh, Latin America, the Middle East are quite right to point out that we may talk the talk and do the George Orr stuff at these cops, but walking the walk has proved beyond us so far. The second dimension of the polluter pays principle is a price on carbon. And I don't know any uh, serious economist anywhere who really thinks that you can do climate change, address it, mitigate it, etc., without having as part of, as a necessary condition, a price on carbon emissions. The problem with all this goes back to the architecture of uh, the COPs and the UN's framework. The COPs are all about NDCs, which are in terms of territorial carbon production, and they're not about genuine carbon footprints. You can see this in the nonsense about the UK being a leading country in addressing climate change. We're a leading country in deindustrialization and closing down our energy intensive industries and importing the stuff from China and elsewhere. And possibly the steel industry will be one of the final bits to go, along with the petrochemical industry, the fertilizer industry, and yes, bits of the car industry if Brexit doesn't finish them off in any event. You know, what matters is if you want to stop causing climate change is your carbon consumption, and that must include the carbon embedded in imports. And here there is a glimmer of light. You know, if we were to apply a carbon price, come come through permits or a taxation mechanism to our production and to imports, then the incentive mechanisms on other countries to join in carbon pricing would be all the greater because they'd prefer to pay the revenue at home to their home government to show they'd paid the price of the pollution rather than pay it to the importing uh, country's government, uh, say the UK's exchequer. And what you do, especially if you have the EU and the US in the carbon border tax frame or the carbon border price adjustment game, is that you create an enormous pressure for much of the rest of the world to join in the coalition of the unilateralists who are willing to do what it takes and walk the walk about stopping causing climate change. So all this is possible. And these are the things that should be on the agenda at COP27 and the next 26 or 27 COPs that come after them. My worry is that when it comes to polluter pays, the reality is that developed countries, northern governments, don't want to do this for what is politically a very good reason that you and I don't want to answer for the carbon pollution that you and I are causing by our consumption habits. You know, behind that 80% fossil fuels lies all the stuff that you and I buy. The transport, the aviation, the plastics, uh, the foodstuffs, the fertilizer, all that stuff comes down in our consumption. So we should face up to it. And the final thing that the COP27 could do, but I'm sure it won't, is to shift the NDCs to a carbon consumption basis. Then we really would be serious about climate change and we really would fix the money problem and fix the incentives and create the coalition of the unilateralist countries who want to walk the walk. It's a hope, 
But my guess is that the UN and the world leaders find the COP process rather less challenging. And for that reason, my guess is there probably will be another 26 COPs and there probably will be a lot more global warming. Doesn't have to happen, doesn't have to be like this, but you can't duck the fundamental questions and the fundamental analysis of the problem if you actually want to solve it. Thank you.